0: Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast.
1: Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. It's suspension season. Barton, no team wants to hear... Uh, about any headlines coming out right now. And by the way, we will bring on Dennis Dodd here in just a moment because uh, among the topics about having your team be in the headlines is the idea of how much is the press going to be able to talk about your team. So we'll talk about that particularly in reference to LSU. But Barton, when you look at across, and we've got uh, Deshaun Hand uh, currently in legal trouble. We've got suspensions potentially in the mix at Ole Miss where we've got a couple of burglary charges, uh, suspensions at LSU. Uh, like why do you think that it is inevitable? Like college football has this great ability where every year, one way or another, 18 to 22-year-olds are going to find a way to get themselves in trouble during these last few weeks before the school starts and season begins uh, you know how how which of these different storylines across college football is jumping out at you right now?
0: Nobody does college football better than the SEC, and that includes suspension season. It is the SEC is owning suspension season right now. It's uh, yeah, man. Like I I I think what was it, Steve Spurrier said when he was in South Carolina. It's always fun to play. You want to get that Georgia game early in the season because half their team is going to be suspended for the first half <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're right in that wheelhouse right now and and um, yeah I mean I think obviously the biggest one is is Deshaun Hand at Alabama uh, with with Florida State coming up in week one it's it's going to be fascinating to see how Nick Saban handles that I mean uh, a DUI charge the Alabama folks are, are, are sort of downplaying it uh, because he wasn't actually driving but the the engine was running, as I understand it. He was in the car. Uh, he was just asleep at the wheel. So um, that's you know you got to think Nick Saban's got to do something here. I mean, he's uh, whether it's a half or a game or something. I don't know that they can. That he's going to take a lot of heat if he lets this slide. And Deshaun Hand is a big piece of that defensive front. So that one is going to be really interesting. I think the, some of the other ones, like the old Miss guys, um, are you know, Kadarius Webster is a really important piece of that secondary, but you know, they're playing what South Alabama first game. I think Uh, that that's, they they can, they can probably survive this deal. But um, I think the bigger, bigger question there is just, is this sort of, I just wonder if, if the, uh, you know the, the focus up, might not be yeah, there
1: at Ole Miss like just things sort of are, the, the, yeah. the Jenga
0: blocks may start falling you know yeah. like it's the I just wonder how much of that program it's is is like you said I think focus at this point in the process so um, that is just sort of how they respond and and and, and how they can bounce back from this is going to be interesting to me
1: I think that for Deshaun Hand uh, another interesting wrinkle to this is that uh, he is to me another example of some unrealized potential. Um, you know, the guy coming out of high school and along the way uh, felt like I spend a lot of off seasons looking at him, remembering his name and I spend less time on Saturdays recognizing him show up on tape and showing up on the screen and showing up on the field. Like this is a player that the, the size, the potential and the ceiling has always been very, very high. But when you get yourself in trouble like this and when you put the coaching staff in a precarious position, like like he is for sure part of that, like, all right, he's the the next piece in and look, he's been waiting on the bench. Like when you look at Deshaun Hand not being on the top line of uh, a depth chart, it was often used as an example of, you know, how, how many blue chippers Alabama has and how many more they have than everybody yeah. else. Like I am wondering if... If he's not already on, you know, uh, totally sturdy ground with this coaching staff and this program, he certainly didn't help himself here. Like that, that extracurricular side of this is really interesting to me because, like you're right, if Saban is willing to take some heat for Deshaun Hand, that must really tell me how important he is to this particular season. Given uh, I haven't felt like he's lived up to that uh, high school projections and rating yet.
0: Yeah. But I think this is the year though. I mean, this was going to be his opportunity because let's be real. The, I mean, the guys he was playing behind are, are all freaks. And so this is now his time to step up. And I, I don't know that necessarily the buzz out of Tuscaloosa is that he's been a bust from a, um, you know, within the, the, the walls of that program. I still think that they, you know, they have high expectations for him this fall. Um, and and it's you know Alabama's every year it's like you know the next guys come up the you know they they lose the guys in the NFL draft and then there's these freaks show up and and you got to check your roster and be like well, wh- who is this guy that that's uh, just just decapitated somebody right. and you know this year's going to be Rashawn Evans is one uh, that's just going to blow it up um, and I think Deshaun Hand is is that guy that is or you know was maybe is going to be the just uh, i think emerge and so yeah this is this because he's supposed to be one of the leaders on that team he's supposed to be one of the guys that that's is now taking that leadership mantle and so so he's uh, supposed to be
1: like one of those like enforcer accountability types because when you lose uh you know reuben foster jonathan allen like you're losing players whose voices held a lot of weight in that locker room
0: right yeah and and this guy's been around man he's been there he's He's played a lot of snaps. Um, he's, you know, and this is his time to sort of step into the spotlight along with Deron Payne. And, uh, I, yeah, this this makes you question things a little bit for him, but I, I still bet you, Chip, like, I, you know, I bet this, the punishment's going to be minimal. Nick Saban will handle it in-house, and and he'll take the heat from the media, and Deshaun Han will go out there on the field. I, I think he's going to have a huge year, and I bet he's like a, second or third round draft pick all right um, so you know. if
1: over under 1.5 quarter suspension
0: <laughs> I be, i'll go over i i you know let's i'm gonna i'm gonna say a half i'm gonna say a half for deshaun hand that's my 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 pick uh where are you, do you are you over or under that one and a half
1: uh, i don't i don't think nick saban's gonna do a one quarter suspension for a defensive lineman because that doesn't seem like you would miss that much right
0: right yeah i mean because
1: because under is basically even saying it won't be a quarter it's just like we're not gonna let him start and he's gonna have to come out after the first
0: series he'll run gassers or something you know which i'm (laughs) sure he's already doing but that's yeah that's that's what we're dealing with like is he gonna be is it gonna be a legit suspension or is it just gonna be an in-house deal um and hey i mean so did cam robinson get suspended when when uh he got arrested with the gun nope yeah, he didn't get suspended, did he? No. So, I mean, there's precedent here. <laughs> he wasn't driving. I guarantee you that's going to be a, a point of contention that he actually wasn't – the car wasn't in motion. Uh, Saban can find a way.
1: Do you think that uh, – how much – like, do you think that the the suspensions, the half games, the, the way that uh, – particularly in SEC country, like the way that everyone seems to look and view and judge this from the outside – um, it always makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I, I kind of think that there's a lot of average Joes and Janes, average fans that are, that are putting a lot of um, that, that are sort of weighing their own moral values and expecting uh, of course, they're expecting their rivals to punish uh, as hard as possible. I, <laughs> and they're looking at their own team to, 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 you know, let them off the hook or let's understand about second chances. Like I, I get very uncomfortable when we start to talk with fans about uh, punishments, particularly as it pertains to uh, some of these off-field incidents. Like, what's like, where do you stand on this? Do you have a a harsh stance on player discipline?
0: No, not I. I, Well, it's I think it depends on on the the issue. I mean, like, I'm not if if Deshaun Hand doesn't get suspended for this, I am not going to be someone that's like. Pounded my fists and saying, "This is a, a travesty. This kid has no business being on a football field." Like I'll be, I'll, I'll sleep all right that night when when that news breaks. Um, but I, I do think that, like, if anything, the the Baylor stuff has taught us something. You know, like if you just allow certain behavior, and I mean domestic as it relates domestic to, issues, domestic, yeah, yeah,
1: domestic issues and sexual assault, like that stuff for me is a is a like. Like no questions asked type situation because uh, I would hope as a fan uh, that you would be able to expect more and expect the best out of your players.
0: And and I, yeah, and I think that that's a that that to me is a whole different category. And, and again, like I think because of this Baylor stuff, we've learned like that that can become um, you know, a, a schools can almost become complicit by not. Not enforcing the rules, not holding people to task, not not holding people accountable, and then all of a sudden it becomes a systemic issue. and so, um man, like that's been eye-opening that that all this Baylor stuff. and so I, I think that the any domestic issue and, and and sexual assault issue has to be like, I mean that that's has to be dealt with um, firmly but uh, but but the other stuff, the the uh, shoplifting, the, you know, even this deal with the Sean hand like I, I don't know like I'm just uh maybe I'm soft but I'm not I'm not gonna get too up in arms if these guys aren't aren't handled
1: public uh intoxication
0: uh I, yeah I, I was in college man <laughs> <laughs> like, public. like I that's the, the the hardest part for me about some of this stuff is like with, with those those sort of charges like trespassing in, late
1: at night yeah. like yeah <laughs> you're like,
0: uh, like ee. I mean, thank God there weren't, uh, nobody cared what the Yale football players did. You know, no, no, there weren't, there weren't newspapers reporting on like when we got in fights or someone got arrested for being drunk because there were plenty of that was happening. And uh, so I, it's having been in college, like I'm just not, I'm not going to get too up in arms about a, a guy that's. You know, had a few too many cocktails. All
1: right, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's bring in Dennis Dodd right now, um, and we will we, we we will get the Dodd the Doddcast as this has been known. Uh, time time to bring him back in the fold. And now, bringing on to the twenty four seven Sports College Football Podcast, the Dodd cast Master, the caster, Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Dennis is furiously transcribing some quotes right now for a story, which we will have him back on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast to discuss and promote for sure. Uh, Dennis, welcome to the show.
2: How are you, Chip? It's been a while. Glad to be back.
1: Well, it's been a while. Uh, You and Barton just got to enjoy some time uh, up in New York City getting with the the planning stages of the, uh, the big... The big CBS college football attack. Do you feel energized, gents?
2: I do. I do. Uh, it was uh, it was informative. It was nice to see the other side, how they approach things, and how dedicated they are, I guess, to their craft. I don't know, Barton, what was your takeaway?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely an interesting peek behind the curtain. Uh, you know, this was us. We got to see sort of the – the broadcast side and just sort of how they go about their planning for the season and everything, which was which was interesting. We got to talk to the the uh, head of officials for the SEC um, and and get their points of emphasis and some of the rules changes. Uh, and and so I thought that was as interesting as anything, just seeing what you know what sort of rules they were emphasizing. One of which, the the main one, um, I, the biggest takeaway for me from that. This, I don't know if you agree. Is that there? You're going to see some, I think, 15-yard penalties flying this year for uh, coaches that go out on the field to to get into the uh, to to mix it up with the refs. That, that's not going to be tolerated uh, anymore. Yeah,
2: the, you know, we should talk about that conceptually. How, you know, how do we think that's going to go? Because I I, I think it's going to be an approach like a basketball officials do when maybe they set the tone early in a game and call a lot of fouls. Yeah. And by, you know, I don't know, midseason, a, a lot will be tolerated. I, I think what they're just trying to wipe out is coaches going out to the numbers and abusing the privilege and embarrassing the, the officials and, and making a spectacle that way. But in, in, what you don't want to happen is some coach who's, uh, whose foot is uh, is one inch from the sideline technically all on the field gets flagged in a close game and that decides the game. I don't think anybody wants that. So it'll it'll be a little bit of feeling out. Some coach will be yelling at a player to get off the field and he'll be on the field. Five, You know, whatever it is. Is is it
1: 15? It's 15 yards. It's 15 15 yards. yards. It's a personal foul. And if you get two of them, it's like getting two texts. You get ejected.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a little bit much. I don't, you know, just like, I don't care much if these players celebrate after touchdowns, um, I don't want to see a game decided because a coach was a, a few feet onto the field trying to get a player off, if you know what I mean. Those get-back
0: coaches got to earn their Yo, money this
2: year. They, all they need some promotions. Raised. Yeah. They all just got raised, the get-back coaches. <laughs> Barton, who are you? Okay, here's one for you. Who who typically is the get-back coach? Is it a coach's son? Is it a DFO? Is it's, usually it, a, is that?
0: it's usually a strength coach. Like uh, an assistant yeah. strength coach, sometimes yes. even the head strength coach, but uh, th- those are the guys that that grab a hold of that belt and just pull <laughs> pull those coaches on the back onto the sideline. So yeah, that's that, that they, They're they're built for
2: it. And some of them have a harness. I I, I know. It. Like they actually have some device on their belt where they where they can grab it and pull them back when the coach knows who's pulling and why. Yeah. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What, what do you think – all right, well, speaking of uh, staff sizes, Dennis, uh, football oversight committee – looking into the staff sizes across college football. Number one, is the, the, the differing in the size of these college football staffs, is it something that they're concerned about? What's the backstory behind them looking into this? It's a topic they're discussing right now. And I know that we've got you know a, a great wide difference between uh, Power 5 schools with the least amount of football staffs. And if you count everybody from nutritionists to medical to everything else, I know some of them go even above 100.
2: Yeah, there. This started at the uh, the Big Twelve Media Days last month when Bob Bowlesby casually mentioned, uh, "There's a school out there with 197 staff members," and no nobody nobody followed up. No one asked who, why, what. I, I I was not there in the room, but I was floored because I've been following this. I, I I'm just kind of interested in it.
1: Well, do right, Barton, do you think that having more is necessarily better?
0: Sure, I mean, yeah, it, it can be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I'm interested in hearing Dennis's take on this, like the, the, these days now, you know, every year Ohio state is hiring, you know, the latest fired head coach to just be their off field analyst and, and Alabama's Mm -hmm. got this going on too. And, and, um, I guess, is that, is that something Dennis that you think should be legislated? Like, is that, is that an unfair advantage? Is that just fair game, like fair play? Like, Hey, you're there. They're they're the top dogs, so they're going to they're going to get some reap some benefits of that. Where do you stand on where those sort of big name off field guys come in and and, and and have an impact? Like, it, yeah, do you think that? Um,
2: I, I think the competitive advantage because now everybody has that has some sort of analyst. I don't I don't think I know of any school. Maybe maybe there's a max school or something that can't afford an analyst, but I, I think. What schools are worried about is the advantage it, it creates in – I mean, I, I don't have to name the names at Alabama. Mike Loxley is now co-offensive coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian was an analyst last year. Um, you, know, you can name some more. Uh, there are analysts at other schools. I think at, at Alabama, maybe some other schools that can do this, you wonder I, you know, how often or if they're interacting with players. They, they can't coach them. They can't interact with them on the practice field. They can't. I don't think be on the sidelines or not, but I, I think that's the advantage it, it creates um, to the point that how do we know that Mike Oxley, isn't uh, you know before he got promoted wasn't wasn't interacting with these players every afternoon during practice? And I think that's the consternation by a lot of schools and a lot of coaches because they all have mostly they all have some sort of analyst system set up. Uh it's just a question of, you know, how big and what sort of competitive advantage does that give you.
1: Well, we know for sure that there are uh more staff members than media members at LSU's fall camp. Uh interesting interesting topic, just sort of you know, we, we went to you we like conceptual discussions here. Um there's part of me here that kind of says uh who cares? But there's because there's also an availability now. If you're not going to sit around at practice, uh, you know, get your 15 minutes of B roll beforehand, get your non answers from the scrum afterhand, you know, there's an argument that this is more time to make sure that you're checking up on, uh, you know, who owns that car, police records, uh, doing some more in depth research type stuff. But then there is also the issue of, Uh, worry about schools taking over and controlling the message to a point where uh, they have almost shoved the media out. And now college football coaches, notoriously paranoid, would probably love uh, to have everything completely closed down, particularly as it pertains to injuries and such. Um, Dennis, from your seat, what has led LSU to this place? And do, do you think that it's a big pivot for that program?
2: Uh, it, all that stuff you're talking about is valid, but it's still information that's going out there that people want to read and see and hear about and watch. And for, for LSU to do that, LSU traditionally has been one of the most inclusive, I would say, media-friendly programs around and in, in the SEC. And this sets up a, a wall that I think that does a disservice to uh, the fans, the consumers, the players. It just seems out of character for LSU, and for Ed Orgeron
0: too, right? Like I, I would have guessed. Yes. I would expect Ed Orgeron beyond anybody else. Like he's the guy that's been, hey, this is a family. We're all in this together. Like he's been the media-friendly guy and and welcoming reporters into the to the football building. And and um and I feel like this is sort of his. It's in his character to make it. As open as it's ever been and and, and allow the media in and, and and continue to build the buzz, because ultimately that's what Ed Orgeron is all about is just is pushing this sort of this family narrative. Um, so I'm, I'm really surprised specifically that it's coming from him.
2: Yeah, by by eliminating distractions, he's created another distraction because th- this is not going to end here. You know, people are OK. W- what about during the week? What about next year? How is that going to be handled? Um, you know, he's, you know, in the context of trying to win games. You know, the, and I tweeted this as well. I mean, for decades, the LSU has been, not LSU, the SEC has been known generally for its friendliness and openness to the media. Now, nobody from the SEC is going to tell them what to do, but it's just it's it's just different. You know, you're, you're right, Barton. Ed Orgeron is, a, in general, a jovial guy. Uh he showed up at the SEC media days in a suit, uh, you know, saying it was going to be different. And he did nothing but spout cliches. Look, that's 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 his choice. I'm not going to argue that. But I love the old coach I lo- You know, I love the guy that ripped off his shirt and challenged the entire Ole Miss team <laughs> to a fight. Probably not a good look as a head coach, you know, ever. But uh, that's how he made his reputation as one of the great recruiters of of the present day and, and a pretty jovial guy and native cajun i i, I just think and, and at lsu those people want more not less they're getting less
1: so disservice to fans disservice to the players not being able to uh have that experience i mean i think there's some media yep. training right that comes along with this
2: oh they all do it it's you know it's it, it yeah, you know, I, I just think it's. I, I say this every time something like this happens. Totally hypocritical, for let's say a, a, a true freshman to win a game in front of ninety-two thousand in Tiger Stadium, but he can't answer a couple of innocuous questions from beat reporters after a Tuesday practice. It's, it just doesn't make sense. You know, he can he can he can uh, be composed enough to to win that game, but can't be trusted enough to say the right thing to uh, you know a couple of hacks after. Uh, after practice, I think
1: it's stupid. Barton, do you think that uh, do you think that the change in attitude at LSU will end up coming back to bite them if things don't necessarily go as planned or as expected this season?
0: I don't know. You know, I, I kind of I don't want to overstate like whether this is a, a big deal or not. But to me, the, the one thing I look at in this is I wonder if this is the first. Sign that maybe Ed orsron <clears throat> excuse me, is gonna overthink things a little bit yeah, as a head coach, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like yeah, he's yeah, yeah. It, getting, I, getting the tight, you know what? Because we're, I mean, yeah. that that's absolutely, I mean, that's the question. I mean, we were up there talking to coaches up there at, at the CBS thing in, in New York this week, Dennis. Like that was sort of what what people were asking about Coach O is, yeah, he can recruit, he can motivate, but you know, how's he gonna manage games and and how is he going to be as a true, as a head coach? And I think this is, to me, this is overthinking it. Like, you're not going to learn anything from watching the first 10 or 15 minutes of warm-ups in practice. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to be able to report anything. It's just, again, it's just, a, um, I think, unnecessary. I remember when, at, at in, I'm in Nashville here, and at, in Derek Mason's first year at Vanderbilt, he was very secretive about their practice and their starters, and he wouldn't really release anything to the press. He sort of had this like, "Oh, we're like we've got this secret that they were keeping from everybody," and they go out and they were the worst team in college football the first few weeks of the season. Right. And it's like, look, look just I, I just think it's not it's not necessary to go to to go through those links to be that secretive about things. Just put put your product out there, and and I mean that's to me what's gonna how Ed Orgeron is gonna be great is if he just lets his, his dudes play.
2: Yeah, he's, he's going to, look, at the end of the day, he's going to be judged by how many games he wins and, you know, what number over or under 10 he is this season or the first time he loses to somebody he shouldn't or or if this ever happens and did happen a lot in the previous regime, you know, mishandles the clock at the end. None of this stuff that's happening now is going to have an impact on that. So why create, you know, what what we're sitting here talking about right now that you know, when they when they come out from beyond the bunker, will will be asked about, you know. Um, so I, I just think it's an unneeded distraction while eliminating distractions.
1: Keeping it right there in the SEC West, uh, Barton and I have have had the had the joy of sort of, of unpeeling. Uh, this onion, as it's continued to fall apart at Ole Miss. Um, you know, we're, we're, con- we are even getting, uh, you know, two, couple potential defensive starters picked up on some burglary charges on Tuesday night as we sit here to record on Wednesday. Uh, Matt Luke's got his hands full right now, but yet he is still one of uh, the, uh, You know, he is right there at the top of the list. When you start to look at the potential for who will be the head coach beyond this season where Matt Luke is the interim coach in 2017, at the end of this football season, come November and December, when Ross Bjork is trying to make a decision for the future of the program, Dennis, on CBSSports.com, you put together your list of 15 realistic candidates. Um, When you were doing before we get into some of these names, when you were doing the research for this, what was the vibe that you got from insiders in terms of how the Ole Miss job is viewed right now, given the NCAA uh, sanctions that will be coming, given uh, the step back that I assume will happen on the recruiting trail? Like, How are people looking at the Ole Miss job uh, in terms of you know, how, how desirable it is?
2: Yeah, that that was my intent, intent of waiting eleven days before I did it because, you you know, I saw these PO Lane Kippen, everybody jumped on, jumped on who they thought would get the job. And I said you can't even begin to think about this unless you know what kind of shape the program's going to be in. You know, if it if there, it's a two year bowl ban and multiple scholarships and players are allowed to transfer, you know, which I think is a is a possibility. Um, you know, if they do get a two year bull ban, right. We've already got one
1: self-imposed. So like that's set for this year. And so you, that would be the potential that the NCAA adds another one on there in addition to scholarship reductions and other sanctions.
2: Yeah. So, so answer me that question. And then I can start to answer the second question of who it's going to be. That's why I was pretty inclusive. I, I did 15 people, you know, depending on what situation, uh, develops. And, you know, the guy that has the inside track is a guy who has the job now, Matt Luke. He's going to be in front of those players in the administration every day trying to prove himself. Um, that That's an on-job interview. Not many people have that uh, at his age. I think he's I'm trying to remember how old he is, late 30s, early 40s, that, you know, you can get this SEC job by taking him through this, you know, really bad, bad situation in 2017. I, I really worry about Ole Miss say they go into November at four and five and the seniors sit there and go, what do we have to play for? You know, and, and everybody checks it in. So it's going to be a big, big challenge. If he gets them to eight and four, uh, you know, you might as well night him, put the hat on him. He's going to be the head coach because this is really going to be hard. Of, of the,
1: uh, of the coaches that you've got out there um, on your list, there's, the potential, and you mentioned this, but Butch Jones' move to Jimmy Sexton—do mm-hmm. do you think that that was with an eye on the future, or do you think that that helps yeah, oh, entrench
2: him? Yeah, I would say that. No, I would. I think he just. I'm trying to remember who his former agent is in
0: escaping right now. I think but it was think, Trace Armstrong, was it not?
2: was so Trace Armstrong. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Who's 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 a very very powerful and frankly a rival jimmy sexton so that was a big get for uh for jimmy but i guess my point in putting butch jones on there was like nothing's going to happen in this coaching search until so jimmy sexton has his say and butch jones being his newest client is is significant in that that'd be a heck of a landing spot if you know they do the knee jerk in uh, in knoxville I, I think i'm on record as saying i think butch is underrated not you know not incompetent um having won nine games twice in consecutive years, taking over on probation, Title IX investigation, Derek Dooley 2-14 in his two previous years in the SEC, I think he's improved the program significantly. You may not like how he speaks in public or won't admit the fact that last year was a disappointment, but those are semantics. Uh, I think Jones is a good coach, and that could be a great landing spot for him.
0: Do you get a sense... Like to me, when I see this old Miss job, I think of it as like a group of five coach, like, a, yeah. you know, a, 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 maybe a Frank Wilson or someone of that nature yeah. taking a step up. Is that is that your read as far as the the level of coach that they're going to be able to attract? Or do you think they could surprise some people by by digging up a, a bigger name somewhere along the way? I know a lot of that depends on the sanctions, but I'm curious what vibe you get on that front.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I think that may ultimately what be what it is because they can't get, you know, a sitting Power Five coach, either because of uh, what the sanctions are, or what they could be, or you know, guys under contract. And so then you get to those suspects like Frank Wilson, who's one of the best recruiters in the country, with Les Miles' right hand man at LSU. You get to a Neil Brown at Troy, who's only thirty-seven, I think and has done well, 14-11 and 11 in, in two seasons, uh, I, I think that, yeah, I, I absolutely think that's where it could end up. Uh, you know, it was Chad Morris, one of those guys from SMU. Mike Norvell, right up the street in, uh, in Memphis, who I hear would like to go to uh, Arkansas, but that job might not be open. You don't know. Uh, and the SEC's the SEC, so I think that could definitely happen.
1: Is, the, is Ole Miss going to still be willing to pay, uh, you know, in that th- $4 million range for a rebuild-type job?
2: Well, the short answer is yes. Uh, the long answer is they'll be saving, you know, 50, uh, about $15 million. They didn't have to pay Hugh Freeze, who walked away from this year's salary plus his buyout, without a peep, by the way. So what does that tell you about what's to come? Uh, the other side of that is I think the people who run that program and the boosters who contribute to it, you know, are are going to be very, uh, I don't know, frugal about the money they spend on the next guy. You know, if it's it's a, a big-name guy, they might go all in, but they go, look, we, we paid this much for the last guy, and what did we get out of it? Um, they actually got a lot. They beat Alabama twice and went the consecutive. New Year's Six uh, major, Bowls. New Year's Six Bowls. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got the money to do it. You know, I don't. In that division, you almost have to pay the guy four million dollars next, or you look like you're underachieving because everybody in the league makes at least that much.
1: Do you think there's more to come for Ole Miss? Do you think that they are out of the storm?
2: Oh no, I absolutely think there is. Um, I think this gets a lot worse before it, it, it ends, whatever ends means, because you have two parallel scandals on different tracks. One not necessarily related to the other. One's for, sort of a moral failing, uh, the other is an is an ethical NCAA rules breaking thing. But they could inter, inter you know, intersect could cross.
1: Well, elaborate NCAA. on that. Like, what are the, what are the two tracks? Because you're talking about one of them is
2: the defamation well, lawsuit, the, right? The, the lawsuit, the lawsuit, yes. Uh, and the ongoing uh, scandal with uh, with Hugh Freeze. Uh, maybe it's three if you count an NCAA. Investigation going on, but you know this thing. This thing didn't get to this level, and Hugh Freeze didn't lose his job until uh, Houston Nut filed a lawsuit and somebody found a phone number. Now, as far as I know right now, that has nothing to do with, with the ongoing NCA investigation. It might. It might. It might continue in the future if the NCA decides that those calls that Hugh Freeze and his staffers made to those journalists, uh, you know. Uh, compromise the integrity of the investigation. Uh that, that could be an added violation, but right now it's just it's it's a moral failing. That that I think is I, I will just say this. I, I don't think it's going to end with a single one minute phone call to uh to an escort service. That's, mm. this lawyer I'll tell you what, this guy's good. The one the one point I wanted to make, you know, Houston Nuts lawyer named Thomas Mars. He was former general counsel for Walmart, which is not insignificant. That means he had to deal in international law. He knows his way around a courtroom. We know he knows his way around Freedom of Information Act request. Um and I I, I think to this point he has completely outgunned Ole Miss's uh, legal department. Um to the point that, you know, he's i I I'll just say this, this is not the end of this. Um mm. and to this point he's got a leg up on those on those lawyers at Ole Miss.
1: What about uh, your visit to hang out with Sam Darnold? You think that you're talking to a Heisman Trophy
2: winner? Yeah, I mean it's a pretty yeah. It's a, all the uh, all the math, all the algorithms work. He's he's the uh, in his third year at US, He's the USC quarterback going into his third year, and he's acclaimed. That's a pretty good place to start. And you're in LA, and we know from what he's done so far, he's not a fraud. That's a pretty good advantage for the Heisman voters who you know, I don't think we are going to go with Lamar Jackson again. He's not going to be a two-time winner. So the natural inclination is to look elsewhere. And you've got this now redshirt junior who just came off throwing five touchdown passes in the Rose Bowl. First time in nine years, I think USC was in it and obviously won it. Uh, and everybody wants to believe that, that USC is back. I think it's the second longest winning streak in the country, nine games. And favored to win the Pac-12, so yeah, I've I've seen this look before. He's got he's got the entire look of being a Heisman Trophy winner.
0: Dennis, were you able to get in his dome a little bit and and and, and sort of find out who he is and and I mean, what what's like when I remember him from coming out of high school, he was a very understated, soft-spoken, yeah. but super competitive, steely-eyed kind of guy. Does is has has his personality started to come out as he's matured in that program or is he still a pretty kind of quiet soft-spoken guy what what did what was your read in terms of just his personality
2: uh yeah much the same very chill uh which helps him on that campus i ask him if he can walk across campus and he goes yeah you know he he know the he's in the Annenberg school of communications which is right across the street or a sidewalk from sports information where he would have to go for interviews and stuff so he doesn't have to travel that far in that sense. But, yeah, he's, he's a really chill guy. Uh, he gets it. You know, he's not bothered that much by all the adulation. You know, he'll stop and take a selfie with students and that type of stuff. Uh, but he just, he's, he just he, you know, he's all about ball. You know, he's he's one of those guys. And, you, you know, you, you saw him coming out of high school. He, he's much the same. I did ask him about, okay, I've seen this look on guys' faces before. When did it hit you that, you know, you just won the Rose Bowl? And he started gushing about that because it's been a dream. His his grand his whole family, USC fans, his grandfather played there. Um, there are other connections. And he is absolutely at the place he wants to be, succeeding at a high level. He's not as, I guess, uh, colorful as, say, a Matt Liner or some of the other guys there. But I'm never going to disparage a kid for for who who he really is. I I just think he's very, kind of a quiet guy who gets it right
0: now. No, I kind of like it about him. Honestly, I, I, I mean he's I do, a do. I do. he he's yeah. a he's just a competitive kid, and he's just he's he is focused. And uh, at least that's my read. He's just a focused guy, and um, doesn't seem like the type that ever gets too high, or gets too low. Uh, I'm I'm curious if you caught much buzz in terms of like who his targets are going to be the receiving core there, there's some new faces out there this year yeah were you able to 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 dig up kind of the who they're excited about at the receiver position or who yeah who i Sam did
2: yeah that was the last question i asked him because I said you lose, you lose a lot of the receiver position and i wasn't able to go to any practices while i was out there but as you know they're really really young but yeah He's been throwing with these guys all off season, and and he's really high on them. So, yeah, no, I was, uh, I I think that'll work its way out. I think that's something that USC is not settled on going into the season. Uh, the talent is there; we just haven't learned their names yet.
1: Well, Dennis, uh, we appreciate you stopping by. D- this will certainly uh, not be the last time we get you here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, we've got a lot more to uh, unfurl and figure out before the start of the college football season. And then we'll be uh, leaning on you right there in the heart of things throughout the season. So, Dennis, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, guys. I look forward to it. It'll be fun. Thanks, Dennis. All right.
1: Our thanks to Dennis Dodd. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Uh, Barton, now it's time to introduce what I hope will be an award-winning closing (laughs) segment. This will bring us all the potties, I guess. Are they called potties? The podcast awards?
0: I I don't know, but that's a great name. I hope that's what it is. (laughs) I want a potty on my mantle.
1: Yeah, bring us the potty. Okay. Uh, the award-winning closing segment, beginning now, is simply question of the day. The question of the day. Chip has uh, the baton, so I'm going to pitch it. I've got an answer to the question of the day. But the question of the day, Barton, is what is the week one schedule, obviously, as Florida State-Alabama, one of the biggest games, uh, that we might get to see all season. Two of the top teams, two national championship contenders. Uh, we've got some action on Thursday. We've got some action the week before. It goes all the way through Georgia Tech and Tennessee on that Monday night football all the time. I mean, it is almost an an overload for your brain and your eyes. Uh, We will, of course, be here the whole way. So in the week one schedule, which is packed with some tasty matchups, what is one that you think is sneaky good? So a sneaky good week one game.
0: Well, the one I've got circled that I'm I'm as excited to watch as any other game in that whole slate is the nc state south carolina game mm-hmm. i know that's that's in your backyard a little bit but so you, you I, I would think have a little bit of insight on that game as well but man i mean that that's gonna be nc state's got one of the best defensive lines in the country they are t- a team that I, i've seen final four predictions for them like they're all the hey study, sort don't of a, hey,
1: i can't believe cole Kublik did that i can't yeah, believe he that did that a, to that the nc state a fans pick,
0: man i i and I I think Cole does a good job, and and I I respect his uh, him going out on a limb. Uh, but that's a that's a ballsy one. So, and and but they are good. Like they're legit. They've got they've got a lot of talent. They they trot out legit, big time athletes, and and they're playing the South Carolina team that is also very sneaky good. Like they're. I, I think a legit East contender. I think that there's no one in the East that they can't beat. They've got a great quarterback. Um, we're going to see. I mean, I think ultimately at uh, South Carolina, a lot is going to boil down to how good is their offensive line. And we're going to find out how good their offensive line is really quickly in week one. So that to me is going to be a fun game. I almost, there's another game I almost picked. I don't want to water down my pick by ne- by giving two. And, and, and uh, I want to hear yours But NC State, South Carolina's got me fired up.
1: All right, Um, man. This is a this is a weird one. Are you ready? Yeah. Maryland at Texas.
0: (laughs) Okay, brilliant. Dude, this
1: is this is a really fun game for me because it's uh I'm tuned in because it's Tom Herman's debut, right? Yeah. But I am not overlooking the fact that this like. D.J. Durkin led year two. D.J. Durkin led Maryland team. Act like they are would not love to step into Austin. Like I would not be surprised if, like we tune in and all of a sudden Maryland's up like ten o. Oh yeah. Like that's yeah. that's an eleven a.m. local kickoff. Boy, Maryland, Texas—I think is sneaky fun. I think Texas ends up winning the game eventually, but like, is that, when,
0: is that in Austin or is that in, in uh, uh, where, where are they playing that game?
1: It's in Austin, it's in Memorial okay. Stadium.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think. That, uh, what do you think?
0: Well, no, I agree. I think that'll be a fun game. I think it's really it's it's going to be. I mean, Maryland's a really interesting team. I think they're better than people realize, and I, and I agree. Like, I I, don't, I think when people look at Texas's schedule, that is a automatic pencil in the, the W um, and I don't know if it's that easy of a game I, I don't I think that there may be some overlook factor there I think Texas has USC in week two if I'm not mistaken Yep. Uh, so there's some I mean I mean it's hard to to start looking ahead in week one with Tom Herman I don't think that's going to happen but still USC's looming I mean that would be quite the gut punch to Texas fans if Maryland somehow manages to pull that upset so I, I am fascinated by the game. But I will say this, though, Chip. I might have that game at least on a split screen for another 11 a.m. game that I almost picked, which was the Wyoming-Iowa matchup. Oh, yes. I think that's going to be fascinating. I mean, Josh Allen, maybe the top quarterback in the country. Iowa, new offensive coordinator. Uh, we'll see if, you know, they that that it could be kind of a, an ugly game, but it's I think it's going to be a really interesting one.
1: I th- All right, so the other one that I had on the on this lineup uh is one that will be opposite of NC State South Carolina. I I want to see Temple Notre Dame. Like I you know Temple lost yeah. Matt Rule, but Jeff Collins was a a very good defensive coach coming from Florida and they're, you know, Temple lost a lot of starters, but that's been a program that has built up into being an American Athletic Conference contender. Uh they're poised to take a step back this year. But boy, I I kind of think that with all the pressure that's on Notre Dame again, Brandon Brandon Wimbush, like if he gets out there, he he's got enough he's got enough talented wide receivers, you know, Equinemius Saint Brown certainly leading the bunch, but uh, but those are those are like some spots where I think you're you're not trying to root for an upset, but I feel like in outside of the NC State-South Carolina game, which will tell us a lot about both teams. You know, I think that's like one of the – of all the games we just mentioned, that's the one where you look at it you're like, all right, we just learned a lot about some teams we had some questions about. I think the other ones just might be rooting for chaos, right?
0: Well, I I also – the game – I mean, that Notre Dame game is going to be – I mean, that's our first real look at Brandon Wimbush, and there's a lot of Brandon Woodbush talk, you know, that he's – the most talented quarterback on that roster that had Deshaun Kaiser and, and and Malik Zaire. And now it's his time. And, you know, I just – and he's – like you said, that, that'll be a well-coached, good defensive team at Temple. Uh, that is going to be a fun game. I agree. That, that'll be really – I think we will – we'll – We'll find out something about Notre Dame that game for sure.
1: All right, so if you want to weigh in on the question of the day, you can just holler at us on Twitter, at Barton Simmons or at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, you can hashtag it question of the day, or you can just hashtag it sneaky good, or you could just throw a week one game at us. Make sure it put it on our radar. I'll be about it. I, I will have so many screens around me at all time. you would think that I've got on oh, eight pairs of Google Glass glasses or something like that. I'll be a half-computer by the end of uh by the end of that first weekend so uh, let us know make sure that you subscribe to the 24 7 sports college football podcast subscribers get the episodes first give us a review give us a rating keep the feedback coming uh and we are going to continue to deliver this hotness on the podcast so martin thank you so much for your work thank you dennis dodd uh we will be back on thursday with a new episode